to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. We are going to be um, looking in the book of 2 Corinthians, finishing up those last few chapters um, in 2 Corinthians. And uh, this this section of Scripture um, is, is a place where... Um, um, most scholars and most authors and everyone believes that um, he uh, makes a turn, that Paul makes a turn from talking to um, maybe uh, the ones who have been repentant and who have been listening to him and been influenced by him to the ones in the crowd that are still kind of on the fence. And so the tone in the letter goes to a little bit more of a firm tone in chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13. And so we're going to see that today Um if you guys uh, weren't aware, there's a huge event that happened. Some of you probably tried to buy tickets to this. It was the Fire Festival. And so uh, the Fire Festival was back, I think it's 2017. So some of you may have heard about it. Um, I uh, heard about it later on. And so um, uh, real famous guys, uh, Jaw Rule, I think that's how you say it, and Billy McFarlane, um, they got together with this idea of this, this private island and they're going to have models, supermodels, um, yachts, private jets um, on this private island. And they're going to have this huge um, week-long party celebration with the best food that you can imagine on this island, um, the, the best um, time that you could imagine with the best bands. And then, of course, of course with social media, they're going to have all of these um, people that were high influencers. So um, the, the highest people on Instagram and stuff like that, they were going to have them all come out. And so they built it up and built it up and built up. And so behind the scenes as they're going through this process, they, they landed on this island as that's the place we want to have it. Well, it was going to cost, like I think, about $50 million, but they had, they'd, they'd kind of put it up there like, this is a $90 million event except like they didn't have 10 million yet. And so they're working behind the scenes to kind of get promoters and people to do stuff. And so then people will be like, hey, you know, we'll give 25 million if so-and-so and so-and-so is going to be there and it's going to be so influential. But then later on, like those people would pull out. You don't get my 25 million. And so they had a little bit of money. And so basically it was going to be this incredible place, this incredible time. Um, and then all, all the people started pulling out their money. So now you've got your ticket and then and the tickets cost anywhere from $5,000 to $12,000 for a ticket. And so um, you've got all these um, young people that are coming to this place, and, and they had these cool, like, geodome tents that you're supposed to stay in, and then you'd walk out. So the idea was, like, you know, just your own private island with these geodome tents that you walk to this incredible uh, festival and this food, but they didn't have the money to pull it off. So... Early on, two or three months beforehand, people started saying, why don't you like cancel this? But they're like, we can't because that would ruin our image and our brand. So they were willing to keep going and keep going and keep going, even though there was nothing of substance there. And so you guys may have seen what happened. What happened was two or 300 people land on the island and there's no electricity. There's no running water. There's no bathrooms. 
and they had a few cartons of like bologna and, and cheese sandwiches. So people start looking around like, oh, and so then all the carpenters who were going to build these big stages and these bathrooms and all these things and all the people, the engineers that were supposed to plan all this, they had all backed out. And so now you've got two or 300 people landing expecting the most luxurious, um, beautiful event, and literally it's camping on an island with no bathrooms and no food. And so just a miserable, miserable thing. But, but here's these people, and if you bought the $12,000 ticket, like your ticket, your platinum-level ticket, guaranteed you like front stage pass and all these things. And so here are these people holding these tickets. And people had built up over social media over the time, over the next two or three, or the, the two or three months leading up to this, of like just, just desiring to have a higher-end ticket to where you had more, um, more availability at this island. And so um, all these people are holding these fancy tickets now, these platinum-level tickets, and it's worth nothing. Like It can't even get you like a, a nice sandwich and a, and a running bathroom. And so um, a horrible failure for all that went on. So the value of the ticket was worth nothing, no matter what it was. Um, it doesn't matter which ticket you hold, even though some look fancy, um, they couldn't even get you a meal or a bathroom. And so Paul, in this letter to the Second Corinthians this week, he, he's got these super apostles and this group of people following them that they end up, um, have, they've built up this idea, this image, this pride in, in their abilities and in, in certain things. And so they have this value system where they're holding the tickets. But what Paul's going to be showing them is really the tickets you're holding, they're, they're of no value in the kingdom of God. You, you, you think that you're better than the rest, and you think you're fancy, and you're, you're pridefully boasting in these things, and yet those things are of no value at all. And you're missing the very things that are valuable, that you should be identifying with Christ in like humility and care for one another and love. And so we, we see this beautiful picture that, that Paul kind of flips the case on them and wants to reveal, actually, you had looked down on us, Paul and his crew, the ones who had planted the church and been missionaries, uh, and they, they were the ones walking in just weakness and suffering and, and humility, and those prideful super apostles, as he calls them in chapter 11, um, they had been walking in all these fleshly things, and Paul's going to address that, and he's going to use some sarcasm, and he's going to use some interesting language just to bring that out. Um, and, and we could laugh at the fire festival, but if we were honest, if it was kind of the area of maybe our cup of tea, we would be really inclined to join something like that. Like maybe that's not your cup of tea, but we, we all want something impressive to boast in. We all want something that's kind of, um, that we can connect our lives to. And Paul's wanting to suggest to them that that's the Lord, that, that he's enough. So um, what Paul wanted the, the Corinthians to recognize what they valued is what they boasted in. But what some valued was completely fake and, and just empty of value. Um, so here's, here's kind of the main idea as we go through this. Paul wants the Corinthians to value and esteem boasting in the Lord. And what that means simply is just that when they look and gaze upon the Lord, that they would see that if it's true, that this God who created every single thing, he, he owns me by creating me, but then he sent his son to die on the cross and redeem me. He, he double owns me 
Maybe I should give more of my attention and more of my time, more of my focus, more of my thoughts on him. If, if, if I understand and know him better, maybe I'll be more satisfied. Maybe I'll find my satisfaction in the Lord and not in all these other little trophies that I'm trying to pursue in life. And so when you think through that, um, in order to do that, Paul has to, first of all, confront some of their misleading values as well as addressing some of their views of him. They're never going to listen to him, and he's the guy coming with God's word. And so he knows that if, if you don't trust me, you're never going to heed what I say. But I've got the very words of God to you, Corinthians. And if you're listening to these guys, they're valuing these other things. And so um, we can look at the fire Festival and think, man, that's crazy. But if we're honest we very easily get persuaded on things that, that impress us or that, that, that allure us. Um, so there's this tendency that all of us have and that all of us would agree is present among us. It comes very naturally. It flows easily and openly um, through our lives. One of the greatest things about it is we don't even have to give effort to it. We don't even have to try very hard. Um, we're simply drawn to it. We're enamored. We're captivated. We're, we're enthralled. What is this thing that comes so naturally? It's that ability of our heart to be impressed. Our hearts to be impressed by something, drawn to something, enthralled and captivated in something. And Paul's wanting to say, that should be God. That should be the Lord that you're looking to in that. Um, we easily boast in things that our hearts are enamored by and impressed by. And that is what our value system is attached to. Now, inside the church, what's difficult is we think we have a different value system. Sometimes there's this um, um, cognitive dissonance between um, what, what we think that I value and I say I value, and then actually what I'm pursuing and living out. So there's this cognitive disconnect between what I say that is the most important to me, but then the way I actually live it out. And I think that's one of the biggest stumbling blocks for most Christians. So we're going to see here um, what, what Paul's going to address with them. But I want you to think through before we get started, what is it that the world looks at and finds their boast in? Think through just, just outside of the church. What does the world look at and what do they find their boast in? What is the value system of just the secular world? Uh, power? Riches, wealth, influence, um, maybe a lifestyle of envy, just wanting a certain lifestyle, and you know all those people around you would just be like, oh, I wish we had their fill-in-the-blank. I wish I, I had their whatever. Um, maybe position, maybe trends or likes now with the social media world, um, followers, popularity, um, and, and we know, like you can look at kids, like a, a 10 or 11 or 12-year-old, and our boys sometimes will bring up that there's, um, oh, there's a so-and-so kid, and they had like 16,000 likes on this, or they had 16,000 followers. And so, you know, I just could always insert, like, they don't know him, they don't love him, they, you know, that, that kid, they don't know him at all. And if those 16,000 turn on you, like one person steps up and goes, hey, you're really kind of a dork, and then like a million followers jump on that, like that kid's like, you know, thinking suicide the next week. And so they go from their value being raised up to now they're crushed by that. And so um, this whole idea that this is what's valuable. And so is, is that the intrinsic value of this person? Not at all. Not at all. Uh, prestige, status, external beauty, external apparel, external impressions. 
uh, this, since I had this surgery on my arm, when I walk into places, people literally just see me coming and they just, they just like, just kind of go the other way. Like they don't know what's happened. <laughs> They're like, is this a remnant of something new with Corona that we don't know about? And so they see me and the only worst thing is if I don't wear uh, the patch on it and then they see the thing, they think I'm really a jacked up person. So, uh, so external apparel, think, thinking about what do you think about your hair, your clothes, all those things? Some people live for those things. Your, your body, any of those things, that's what our culture values. Is, is that what God is concerned about? Is that what God in Christ was wanting to accomplish for us to spend our time worried about those things? And so now if we turn to the church, what is it that the church culture often finds their boast in? What is it that the church, church's value system is? Sometimes, sadly, it's not very far off from what we've been eating and swallowing and taking in from the world. The same things. Maybe it's status. Maybe it's spiritual pride. Maybe it's being uh, looked at and respected as a spiritual person. Maybe, maybe it's still just the worldly things of, of possessions. Um, sometimes in churches, sadly, the, the person who's maybe living for just the world, they're brought into the church, and since they've been so successful in the world, they're immediately given a leadership position. There's no character there. there there's no um, true Christ-likeness, but they were successful in the world, so they should be a leader in the church. That happens all the time. People with influence and money. That's exactly what was going on with the Corinthians. So as Paul turns to this part of the letter, um, we're going to see how he brings up these things. Um, let's read um, chapter um, 10. Um, and now, again, I, I do want to bring up Paul is, is going to use some irony. He's going to use some satirical irony in his language this week, and that's just writing this. He's wanting to uh, kind of be sarcastic a little bit to get their attention. Paul does it lots of times. Um, and so he actually has done this before. If you remember back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, there's several places in 1 Corinthians and then also in 2 Corinthians, but even 1 Corinthians. Four. Um, if we go back to that, where he says that that last section there, we're fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. Some had come to view Paul uh, and his crew as lacking spiritually due to those all those measurements and values that these false apostles had been comparing them against. And Paul was aware of this, and so he's aware that you guys view these things as valuable. And here we are in weakness, in suffering, in, in persecution. And so he's going to play between those two boundaries. So let's read uh, chapter 10. It says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters." 
For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of our influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in the lands beyond you, without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends." So, Father, we come to you asking for you to give us insight into a, um, a different part of this letter to the Corinthians to help us to understand what you were saying to them. But, Holy Spirit, would you give us insight to our, our own hearts to help us to know ourselves, to know um, how our hearts can mislead us, how we can have uh, separate value systems operating. We can have a value system in the church, and we can have a value system that we live out Monday through Saturday, would you help us to see the difference there, Father, to see and get on board with what you're wanting to do with our lives? I pray that you would give us wisdom to understand um, kind of this difficult little section of the book. I pray that you would give us understanding and that you would help us and guide us as you promised to um, guide us into all truth and to grow us and mature us. We ask for for that blessing as we, we go into your word. In your name we pray, amen. So, uh, I'm going to have to go through this um, because there's lots of little um, sentences that if you just read it on its own, it's kind of confusing. Paul is addressing some specific situations in the church and some things that we are not clearly aware of, but they've been, been able to piece together over time that this is exactly what he was addressing. There was probably this incident that had arisen, and, and then he, when he says this, he's speaking to that, and then he's addressing another uh, situation in another sentence, and so he's addressing also some of the feedback he's heard. He's also addressing some of the things that have gone on between him and this church. And so um, as he goes through this, um, you notice he's going to be on still a little bit of a defense to him, but there's going to be this turn where he's very bold. So Paul says in this little preamble, first of all, in that first verse, I, Paul, myself, I entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Um, And he says, I who am humble when face to face, but I'm bold toward you when I'm away. And so um, he turns and makes this very confrontive because he's basically saying, I hope I don't have to come hard at you when I get there face to face as it seems I will have to do with some. So it's very clear that there's a group that when he gets there, he's going to move forward very boldly against them. And so he's saying, I hope that the the majority of you, and then any of you guys who are kind of on the fence, who have been led astray, and and maybe there's a lot of distrust that's been sown by these super apostles, and you've been misled by them, I hope that I'm still able to approach you in grace and in truth, and not come hardcore at you. Um, 
And so he says this, this, this word fleshly. He says, according to the flesh. Some of those people have made this accusation against Paul that they were working according to the flesh. Now let's think through this. So th- think where we're at. We're in Corinth. Think through what was the, the, the biggest outside of the church and what was the biggest mindset. So you guys remember platonic thought? So platonic thought was what? So anything physical, anything material of the world was what? It was evil, right? Do you remember that in your humanity study? So anything that's, so the, the dualistic, two different things, anything physical is evil, and f- anything of the flesh is evil. Anything that's supernatural is the spiritual light, right? Remember all those things? And so um, in that, that, that's what's influencing this culture. And they're saying, hey, Paul seems to be walking in the flesh. That was the accusation against him. And they're going, look at his life. Look at the suffering. Look at the weakness. But look at us. We're successful. We're prospering. We're, 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 we're attractive. We're, we're proud. We're strong. And so Paul is going to flip that and say, they accuse me of that. But actually, those are not the biblical things that you'd be looking for. And so he's playing into this, knowing that that's their mindset. Um, those um, Paul's physical weaknesses and suffering and poverty and his list of misfortunes, they were aware of those. And so they had attributed to those to saying, he must not be of the spiritual realm. How could God be with this guy? Because he's, he's clearly um, of evil. So you just had that, that, that play between good and evil. And they had been playing on that for a while. Um, and then Paul, he says, the, the, those influential, powerful super apostles with all their supernatural powers and experiences and ability were clearly more connected to the supernatural realm is what they were trying to get, get uh, in their minds. And he was going, that's not it at all. And so he flips it and says, actually, the, the warfare that we're engaged with is different from that. And so it's a brilliant approach that he uses. Um, and he doesn't even deny that he was coming in weakness and humility. Notice he, he just agrees with that. So he says, I, I know it appears like I'm being very humble. He was saying, it's very true. He didn't argue against it, but they had misrepresented and misinterpreted humility not as grace, but as weakness. So, so think through that. They, they had misinterpreted the grace that he was extending towards them as weakness, as a, as a doormat. And so think through your own life. Um, don't be afraid of humility. It's a grace of God. When, when God does something that you feel like is, is hard or difficult and it feels like this kind of this crushing thing that happened, sometimes God's allowing those things to, to bring humility into your life. And that's an act of grace towards us. Because what's the opposite? More pride? And I know that the whole self-esteem movement that kind of started in the 80s and the 90s, um, that was huge about just your self-esteem, self-esteem, self-esteem. Well, the Bible's never telling us to be more prideful. The Bible tells us clearly that pride is our greatest enemy. And that's, that's what Satan had. I think I could be God. Hey, Adam and Eve, I think you could be God. That pride. And, and they wanted that. And so humility is a beautiful act of grace towards us. Instead of uh, arguing, denying that, he identifies with his humility in Christ, stressing it. He says, I, I, I'm, Paul, myself, I entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face. So think through the, the classical G- Greek um, literature. 
all the Greek gods, were they like little weak things? Do you see statues of little weak, um, uh, puny things? No, they, they were um, enamored by. They were captivated by what was strong and powerful. And that's what Paul's showing them. Like, this is, this is what's going on in your culture, but we should have different views. Do you not understand Christ? Do you not understand the humility that Christ came if he was truly God and came in the flesh and lowered himself and humbled himself and died for our sake? Um, all of those things in their culture treasured and valued and was impressed by the powerful, the noble, the prideful. Now let's take that to Paul's setting and what he's encouraging the Corinthians and then think through just in your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Are there times when you're in a, in a group of people? It could be at work, could be at class, could be um, just even in your family sometimes where um, there's this desire to be respected. There's this desire to be seen as impressive. There's this desire for colleagues or acquaintances or, or family or neighbors, the desire to show yourself as impressive. That could be your looks. That could be your intellect. That could be what you're able to purchase and possess. Could be any number of things. Do you struggle with that? We've got to watch out because the desire to show ourselves as impressive, if you're not careful, that becomes your value system. So when you're dealing with these ideas of impressing others and, and how valuable I am, what Paul's wanting to say is, you don't understand, you should be humbled and blown away by the fact that the God of the universe came and died for you, and your boat should be in him alone not in all these other things, and that's what the Corinthians are doing. And so for us, we've we got to be careful not to accept the same value system that the, the Corinthians are following. So just don't be afraid of humility. It's a grace of God on your life. Um, we see this where Paul now goes a little bit firmer um, when he says that we're waging war according to the flesh. Um, this warfare imagery in verses 3 through 6, notice the terminology that he uses. He wants them to see clearly. So, so here he's saying, I come in gentleness and meekness, and now what does he do? He goes, but if you want to talk about fighting, if you want to talk about war, so it's a play. Again, he does this satirical um, irony, and like, I, I, I'm, I, Paul, who am weak and meek and, and humble, but you want to talk about more? You want to talk about war? And he goes and fills up with this language, waging war, weapons, warfare, strongholds, destroying every lofty opinion, which was the, back in those days, remember, uh, all the cities had walls and they would have a high tower. And so that every lofty opinion, that's supposed to be a picture of this strong high tower that no one could get past. Um, this word captive and then punish every disobedience as if a court martial. Um, he's not worried about the platonic thought that's going on with them. He's wanting them to see that there's a difference in the way that we're living and the way that you're living. And so a, a stronghold, he says, it can be brought down by this divine power. So a stronghold was a part of the city that was impregnable. So um, as, as we see what's going on with Russia and the Ukraine, there are certain cities that as they get to one of the little cities, they start attacking the outside. But there's usually a force in the middle of that, at the center of that city that's just impregnable. And they cannot penetrate that. And so there's all these things where um, Paul's using this language to say um, th this idea of this, this thing that's at the center, it's actually their arguments. 
He's wanting them to see. Um, so in, in this, you've got to be careful. Um, a lot of times when we get to this part um, in chapter 12, when Paul's talking about specifically only spiritual warfare, this is talking about actually spiritual warfare with the people in the Corinthian church. So it's not talking about necessarily demonic stuff. So this waging war um, is not specifically talking about the demonic. It's saying it's the people in this crowd. It's some of you. So that's what he's saying there. And he's saying their central argument, um, that's what is, is the appeal to the, from those detractors, the ones who are misleading them. That's what we're having this central argument with. And so um, D.A. Carson brings up and says this, that Paul's language of destruction is not merely about spiritual debates or arguments. He means something far more. His weapons destroy the way people think and demolish their sinful thought patterns and the mental structures by which they live and their lives live in rebellion to God. Is that not exactly what the gospel comes and frees you from? But it would bring out the, this, this reality that you've been living in, in as an enemy to God, that you've been under the wrath of God. And so living as enemies, and Paul's saying that, that this, the gospel is that central argument that we're going to defeat those things that go against the very knowledge of God. So um, very interesting language that he tries to take on. Um, this is where Paul knew that those who were against him, they needed to um, have a switch in thought. So that's why he uses this phrase that we kind of use sometimes out of context, but where we take every thought captive to Christ. And so the picture there, you may not have thought of it because we kind of tend to use it. And this, this, this fits in the practical application, like taking your thoughts captive, you're having tempting thoughts of whatever, and you're like, hey, I need to stop that thought. But the picture for them in this war terminology was someone who was fighting against someone and then they got conquered, and then they were taken as a, a captive, and now they're following a new master. They're following a new king. And so that's, what, that's the picture he's wanting them to get. Hey, Corinthians, there should be a turn in your hearts. If you've truly trusted in Christ, you, you should have a conquered humility to where you're now captive in Christ, taking every thought captive. So he's talking about mind. He's talking about the way that we think about these things. And so trying to get the Corinthians back in unity. Um, if you remember last week, we talked about this, um, the, the emphasis on what is it that every lost people around us, every lost person, um, what is it that has to happen spiritually? First of all, there has to be a conviction of sin, right? So we don't want to just tell them, hey, you should get saved or ask Jesus into your heart so your life will be better. Because Jesus never guaranteed that. But he did guarantee to take away sins, right? So if we sell them a Jesus product that's not accurate, hey, you should come and follow Jesus because then it'll take all your problems away. You got problem with depression, you got problem with drugs, you got problem with family. If you, if you just give your life to Jesus, he'll make it all okay. He, he never promised that. He never said that. Um, and so when we're thinking through what this idea of being captivated in Christ um, we're convicted. We first need to be convicted. And then there's repentance. And then there's confession, agreeing with God. And then through that process, the Holy Spirit's process of conviction and repentance and confession, then brings the new life, the renewal. And then we talked about last week, the next step of that is now, instead of me striving and trying to prove myself for God or work myself to God or be good enough to stay in God's presence, no, I'm resting in what Christ has done. 
I'm resting in the finished work of Christ. I'm resting in the position he gave me, his imputed righteousness on me. And from all that, I look back in, in, in worship, in, in rejoicing, going, man, I need a lifestyle of that. Not just one time I pray a 20-second prayer of repentance and never change. And so I brought up that you know, for many people, it's 20 years or 10 years of being a Christian, but they're still acting like a six-month-old. They're not really growing and maturing because they're not in this process of, of renewal. And so Paul's saying, we take every thought captive to Christ. Um, being ready to, and here's, here's a phrase in there that, that many scholars have talked about where it gets kind of confusing, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. This is specifically saying when we show up, we're probably going to have to perform church discipline. And that's to say you, 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 and you, you need to come forward. We're going to talk about this. And so he's saying um, we're, when we get there, there are going to be some that we're going to have to perform church discipline unless you who are faithful, you deal with it first. And that's, that's not a harsh thing. That's not, hey, get out. It's, hey, listen, it seems like you super apostles. It seems like you got away from the true gospel. When Paul first planted this church, it was all about Christ and him crucified. Now you guys are talking about the next speaker that comes in with great eloquence and great pride. And, and the next rich person that comes in that is, has all this position and power. What does it have to do with what we first learned about Christ? Can't you see that? And so Paul's saying, you should try to approach them now before we get there, because when we get there, we are going to have to do that. Um, so he, he clearly just leads them to see, and that would be your obedience being completed. You, you need to do that. And so that, that's the same thing that we do as far as you're just having lunch with a guy, and he, he just goes, yeah, I'm just not my wife, man. It's just, I'm just so sick of her. My husband, he is just an idiot. I mean, I just can't believe. Church discipline is just like, hey, what's going on? Man, this is like the third time that you've mentioned just, you know, how you can't stand your wife, how your husband drives you crazy. What's going on there? And just listening, just being curious, asking questions. That's church discipline. What's going on? Is there a heart issue? You're frustrated with work. You're frustrated with your kids. You're frustrated with your finances. You're frustrated with your spouse. You're frustrated with... Man, something's going on. What's going on? And, and caring enough to, to step in and then like, hey, let, let's talk about that. Let, let's pray about that. And then helping them to see there's some heart issues going on. That's church discipline. That should be happening just on a regular basis, right? And that, that, that's part of it. Instead of this, this big showdown that Paul's having to say, if that doesn't happen, we, we, we seem like we're very graceful, but when we come, we will act in boldness to do that. And so some strong correction that comes there. Um, and then in verses 7 through 11, he, he just says clearly, I mean, look at his language. This is kind of rare for this type of language. Just literally, look at the things right in front of your eyes. Do you not see this? Look at the obvious facts, how these false teachers are misleading you. If those being led astray and the rest of the faithful Corinthians would simply look at Paul's life and his identification with Christ and his humility, they would see uh, the opposition, the super apostles who were focused on these other things. And so I made kind of a list there. Look at, look at the juxtaposition, the, the contrast between these super apostles and Paul and his crew. So, so where the super apostles, they emphasize pride and power and strength and influence, Paul had always emphasized humility and weakness and suffering, and they'd seen it in his life. Where, where the, the super apostles um, looked at ability and money and spiritual pride, Paul and his crew were fine to live in inability and poverty and spiritual bankruptcy. 
where the super apostles um, tried to be um, enviable and, and impressive, Paul and his crew were fine being non-impressive and non-enviable. Um, where the gospel of the super, super apostles was pride and self and worldly success, Paul and his crew just stuck with Christ and him, him crucified. That, that's the true gospel. Um, and then their ministry for the super apostles was self-oriented. If you want to elevate yourself in the church, is what they were looking for, instead of others-oriented. So just a clear thing. Look with your, your clear eyes. You should see this. Now, I'd want you to take some time to think through that. What, what sells Christianity in America? What are we most impressed with? What, what draws us and what, what do we really think is this is what success is? I was reading through some notes in, as a, one of our Harbor Network um, church planter um, uh, cohorts. And um, this guy just, after two or three hours, um, he had got to this basic thing with about six or seven of us. And, and he was just saying, so um, would you be okay if, if God did a huge movement in your city and lots and lots and lots of people were, were getting saved, except it was that church that you can't stand that's right down the street? Would you be okay with that? Truly a movement, but just like you get looked over. Is success to you Truly just loving God and loving others. Is that success? And so, man, for, for a lot of guys who can get into church planning and are like big time, like let, let's just go and do and do and do and do and do and do and get super, super, super busy, like that, that's a whole thing. Like, man, are you going to rest that God is the one that brings the increase, that God is the one who saves souls, that God is the one who draws people in? Are you going to rest in that and trust in that? Um, for, for your own lives, thinking through the same thing. What, what are you resting in for your family? What are you resting in at this stage of life? What are you resting in and trusting in? Is God enough? Um, and so Paul's wanting to get the Corinthians to realize that that's what I'm leading to you. Boast in the Lord. Look what he has done. He's always provided for you. And Paul wants them to know that, uh, and just remind them, uh, look in the, the verse 8 there, for even if I boast a little too much of our authority... Hint, hint. Hey, Corinthians, hint, hint. Our authority. I was supposed to be the one who had authority over you, but you've displaced me. You've let these super apostles who are not like Christ come in and mislead you. Weren't we the ones who brought the gospel to you? Weren't we the ones who brought and shared the gospel? So look at your own lives. If you need evidence, compare the pride of the super apostles with when you surrendered your life to Christ. And you saw your sin and your need for Christ. That's all we've given you is Christ and his salvation. So he's laying that on kind of thick with, with the authority. He says, which the Lord gave for the, the building you up and not destroying you. I won't be ashamed about that. Um, and then he goes on in verse 9 through 11 there. And again, there's this, this, this switch. I don't want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, and then he, he knows what they say. His letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak. His speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we will perform when we get there. And that's, again, this church discipline idea. And so it's kind of confusing. You've got to know the situation. But he's saying, if you think we're bold now, if we get there and there's still resistance, we will have to act more firmly. So that's a very, very uh, difficult thing. Um, Again, he, he's dealing with these people that they're, they're confusing grace for him being just weak and a doormat. Um, 
there, there are many things as we look at, um, as, as you look at this idea that Paul's dealing with them. This is where Paul's dealing with the Corinthians' value system. He, he wants the Corinthians to value and esteem boasting in the Lord, not in passing fads and trends. Um, and then verses through 12 through 14 says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. So now they've got this comparison thing going on. Remember the fire festival? Who's got the shiniest tickets? Who's got the, the, the really incredible spiritual gifts? Who's got more money? Who's got the power and prestige in the Corinthian church? And so now these guys, he's going, hey, all of those things that you're holding up, your tickets, guess what? They're nothing of Christ. And yet you're over there comparing with one another. Um, and so it, it's like everyone's wearing like, you know, just the, the same uh, uniform, but yet I think my uniform's better than yours. And I'm comparing and, and contrasting and, and bragging and boasting about my uniform, and my, my uniform's just as poor as yours is. And so Paul's wanting them to see that this, this commending one another and comparing one another, it's nothing. They've lost understanding. They've missed the whole idea of Christ. Um, he's saying, you've missed the point of Christ. They, they've forgotten what the whole thing about. It's about God and the salvation that he's provided for you. Um, these super apostles had switched the value system, and they started elevating and exalting certain spiritual gifts, certain people, a position and power, prideful people over the humble, elevating quasi-spiritual ecstatic experiences over true knowledge of God. They set up these measuring standards, these fake image-based values for success and influence, and then they're boasting about them and bragging about them and comparing them, and Paul's now exposing them as that is nothing of Christ at all. Um, again, we could look at our own American Christianity and just see how much of that plays out. I've been listening to the um, Mars Hill episodes again um, with Mike Cosper uh, on the podcast and just hearing some of the abuses and some of the horrible things that were going on. Um, and some of those guys now that are on there, friends of mine that I've heard their story and just the abuses and the things that went on and just someone who just ran rampant and created a circle around him that, that just allowed him to be abusive, horrifically abusive, and, and, and people were devastated, families, to where now there's a lot of those people um, who, who literally don't even go to a church, who are questioning their faith, looking into other religions and stuff. And so that can happen very easily. Paul's apostleship was the grounds of his boasting. The evidence was their own lives and their salvation. God's work um, that Paul was, was saying, this is what the work is. Look at the evidence of your own lives. If God has been with us, if I'm truly following Christ, then look at your own lives. Have we been faithful to the gospel message? Um, again, we could compare some things in, in, in the church, in our American culture, in the world today to see what is success looked at. Um, I, I would encourage you just to think through this last year. Do you, do you feel in the last six months, are you growing in your affections towards the Lord? Are you growing in your ability of knowing how to mortify and kill sins in your life? It doesn't matter how many services you go to or how many checks you write or how many kids' services that you attend or that you serve at. If, if you're not seeing growth and you're not seeing repentance, granted by the Holy Spirit. If you're not having times regularly when you're in God's Word and you're needing to repent and confess and have a conviction 
that leads to the beautiful things of renewal and rejoicing and rest, that if that's not happening, you've got to ask, something's off. And so that doesn't come from just a Sunday service, right? Are you in love with him enough to where you're spending time with him regularly? And we're not going to get a legalistic list of here's how, how much time that is, but if there's no appeal to the God of the universe, you have a different value system. You've fallen for it. You're much, much, much worse off than anyone who bought tickets to Fire Festival. Your soul is worth much more than $12,000, and yet we're eating it up and eating it up and eating it up, falling for a different value system. Well, Paul closes this um, saying, we're not boasting beyond limit in the labors of others, so I'm not worried about the, 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 the things that are going on with others' ministries. Our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. And notice the so that. Notice the purpose. The reason that I want you Corinthians to switch back to understand that you, you've been misled and the reason that you need to join back in unity with us so that, notice what he says, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. His Paul was divinely um, following um, the, uh, the, the, the Great Commission Jesus gave him specifically, hey, you're going to be uh, my, my light to the Gentiles. You're going to be the um, disciple and the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul was saying, Corinthian church, this offering that we're taking up and all these things, can't you see this is our desire that as you grow and mature, and if you listen to these things and are changed, you're going to be partnering with us as we take the gospel to other places. Again, is that what the super apostles were about? Were they concerned about getting the gospel to places that didn't have the gospel? So Paul just makes it clear that's always his guide is the Great Commission. And he says this, um, let one who boasts, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one who the Lord commands. So clearly Paul's boast was in the Lord. And that's actually a quote from Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. And so here's the whole verse that he's quoting from Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Do you, do you get what he's saying? Painting a picture of the super apostles? Let not the mighty man, let not the wise man, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. And then he goes on, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Paul shortens it to, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So I'll just ask you, to just compare your weekly pursuits, the things that you're doing with your life. You have to work. You have to take care of children. You may have to go to school. Is there anything that your heart's connecting and, and boasting and treasuring and loving God? Is there anything that your heart, where your heart is just compelled and still captivated by what Christ has done? Is that one of you know one out of 199 different things, or one out of a thousand things that are distracting you? Paul says we must be boasting in the Lord. Um, so as we close, Brad comes back up. What does your heart tend to desire to boast in? What is it that your heart desires to boast in? Is that affecting your true value system without you even knowing it? The things that your heart is desiring, impressed with, wanting to be like, there's your value system. 
What are the comparisons and measurements that we use to evaluate and assess true spiritual health for yourself, for, for your family, for, for a church? What are the things that you use to evaluate and assess true spiritual health? What if the satisfaction that our hearts are seeking is actually just God himself? Like what Jesus says in John 17 when he's praying to Gethsemane. Um, that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. That's it. That's heaven. That, that, that's eternal worship. This is it. Same thing he said in Jeremiah. Let the one who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Are you growing in your understanding and knowledge of the Lord? What if all of these things that we do, church, attendance, Serving life together was supposed to lead us to the treasure of God himself. It's not God's over here and we're just doing these little spinning wheels and spinning wheels. No, all of those things were supposed to lead us towards the treasure of God himself. And when we do that, we begin to boast in him. Our heart begins to boast in him. I'm thankful to him for the relationships around me. I'm thankful to him for what he's done in my life. I'm thankful to him for the renewal that he's brought about. I'm thankful to him that he's with me when I'm going through suffering and difficulty and hurtful things. I'm thankful to him and all those. Our heart begins to boast differently. And then we get to a place of rejoicing and worship in that. So I pray that you'd be able to take that this week, uh, kind of a difficult section of 2 Corinthians, and hopefully be able to make some sense of that this week. Um, let me pray as we turn in response, and then we'll do the Lord's Supper after we sing this song. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for men like Paul that were so captivated in you that they were willing to confront very alluring, very powerful, very tempting things in this world. Father, we live in a culture much more comfortable, much more at ease, uh, much more alluring with many, many um, media persuasions every single day, thousands of um, voices screaming for our heart's attention. God, would you recapture the wonder that is you? Would you allow us to go back to just embracing those gifts from the Holy Spirit of conviction, and repentance, confession, that we begin to truly see renewal and rest in what Christ has done? that leads to further rejoicing in worship. Would you allow us to have um, some of the, the, the fog cleared away to see you for all that you are in your glory and to treasure you in that way? Would you help us and guide us as we take this time to sing this song that you would guide our hearts back to you? Thank you that you are so good and so loving, that you're patient with us. Even when we've got off track, we've sinned against you in hundreds of little ways this week that you're forgiving. Father, I pray for anyone in here that, that doesn't know you, that they would see that you are the treasure for all eternity. You're the treasure for this life and the life to come. We pray that you'd give us um, beautiful understanding of that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.